your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, your source for what is currently left of the Big Ten 2020 college football season. At least if you're not Wisconsin. Here we are. I am Steve Braun, aka Thumpasaurus, along with Andrew Kaczewski. We've survived the first week of November, and we're um, looking to move on to the next one. You know, the good thing about playing a conference-only schedule is that we're really safe and immune here from things that impact the ability of other conferences to play. So notwithstanding the fact that there was a game on national TV that is almost certainly going to become the most renowned super spreader in all of sports this year, I feel good that we'll be able to play all of our games, even though several of them occur less than 100 miles away from that venue. Everything's going to be fine. We are, of course, talking about Clemson-Notre Dame, where at uh, Notre Dame Stadium, there's about, what, 15,000 in attendance. And Uh, half of them rushed the field when the game was over. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) the entire field. When the game was over, before any of the players could get get out of there while, while there was... Well, while there was a known COVID positive person on the field, yeah, who, who by the way, at various points throughout the game was not wearing a mask. So he's just on the side. I was like, you might as well play then. If you're not going to wear a mask, what's the point in you sitting if you're still on the sideline, still blasting everybody around you with particles? Like, I just, I don't know, man. I really like that the coaches always take their masks down to yell, which is the time when you would be spreading the most virus. When when I'm about to force air out of my lungs as forcefully as I can, that's when I remove the protective mask that, again, keeps me from just hammering everybody with particles. Have you seen it happen? Because I know at some point a coach has taken down their mask to yell and then left their mask down and put their play sheet over their mouth so that nobody could (laughs) see what they were saying. Uh, I... I'm sure I have. I haven't thought of it in quite that way, but yes, I'm positive I've seen that happen. I mean, that feels like a very John Gruden thing to do, doesn't it? Because the Raiders have been fined like a million dollars and change and already lost one draft pick. And plainly, he's not the kind of guy who's going to take that kind of hint. So, I, you know, whatever. NFL is going to rack up some money for its charities through all these fines. That's cool. Uh, certainly going to be needed this season more than any. So, all right, let's get on to something more cheerful. Let's talk about Michigan State football. Can't wait. I've been waiting. I, I just love that I get to talk about this. So, I, I will truthfully say, because of the other stuff that happened in the world on Saturday, I've never cared less about my football team getting stuffed into a trash can. I, I, I didn't give a shit. I, like, it was obvious the first couple drives into the game that this was how it was going to go. And I guess looking at it a few days later now, you can kind of pick up some pieces of it and try to figure out some takeaways. But what is there to say, really? So I hope that this game will put an end to a debate that I've had with some others in my fan base about whether MSU is any good or not. Because I have had some people tell me, no, actually, D'Antonio really didn't leave this team in that bad of a spot. There is plenty of talent on this roster. We will be good again soon. And I've felt myself feeling like Will Ferrell's character in Zoolander, where I'm like, am I taking crazy pills? Like, I, that feels completely out of touch with what we see on the field. They have a handful of individual players that are good most of the time. Like Naquan Jones, he could be an NFL defensive tackle. Antoine Simmons could be an NFL inside linebacker. Beyond that, tell me that there's a proven all-conference caliber player on this roster, and if so, they certainly haven't proven it yet. There's a few guys that were talented recruits, but most of them have have barely been able to get on the field. Well, this is where you... This is where you run into a bit of a problem as as fans of a program. Fans of a program are often more likely to see, you know, all conference players where there aren't any because because we've got to talk about guys that are proven, you know, proven stars in the Big Ten, not guys with the potential to, because every team has a lot of guys with the potential to yeah, become would, pretty good. They wouldn't get you to- just don't. You just only notice the ones that are on your team, generally speaking. Yeah, most of the time, if a guy's good enough to get on a Power 5 roster, the ability is there. It's just a question of whether they actually bring it out. So, you know, looking at this on, in terms of the matchup against Iowa, then, MSU's got a defense that did much worse than I thought they would at holding up at the point of attack. Iowa's offensive line played better than I thought we would see, especially shuffling some pieces up front. But when Iowa bounced it to the outside, MSU's pursuit is really slow, man, especially those lines. Linebackers again, like 
I like Antoine Simmons in a lot of ways. He's not the most fleet of foot guy, and neither is Noah Harvey. They play this 4-2-5 base, and even the safeties really aren't getting out to the edge as fast as they need to sometimes. And again, that's against Iowa. We're not talking about a team that's got, you know, a stable of guys running sub 4-5-40. So that was really discouraging. They've had real problems in the punt return all year. It was a big problem against Michigan. It was even a bit of a problem against Rutgers. It was just a matter of time before somebody housed one. And so Charlie Jones, a walk-on Mac transfer, sure, he's the guy who basically looks like Devin Harris out there returning kick for Iowa. You know, so I was watching this game with you, actually, and I remember I, re- I remember in the early going to the game, I kept saying, you know, like, I don't know. The, on one hand, Iowa's missed a lot of opportunities. On the other hand, they've been there. But also, Michigan State doesn't look like they completely don't belong on the same field here, play to play. Like, I don't know. They get a couple of opportunities. They get a couple of shots that they hit. They could make this a game. And then, then Iowa got out to 21-0 lead. And then, near the end of the first half, they, they did something that I'm sure you probably actually appreciated, which was to just go up to you and then just put a couple of mercy shots right between the eyes. Well, we so it was 21-0, and I knew Michigan State was going to lose the game when Mel Tucker opted to kick, I want to say like a 40 or 41-yard field goal instead of going forward on fourth and five. And, of course, they missed the field goal. Coughlin's been unreliable at best the last couple years. And even if they make it, you're down 21-3 late in the second quarter. What good does that do you, really? Like, to seeing those three points on... Um, the board really inspired that much confidence. So at that point, I got up and went outside. You and I were hanging out here at my place that day. I went outside and started grilling. I checked my phone a couple minutes later, and now it's 35 nothing at halftime. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. What happened? So, well, uh, they, they, they found that decision so cowardly that the referees decided to award Iowa 14 points on the basis of, well, you don't deserve to win this game now. I, I can't argue it. I, that seems fair. Uh, man, so sure, we the biggest problems we that we saw from Michigan State on offense are ones that have been there for a while, which is that this is an offensive line that has not gotten pushed in the run game since Jeremy Langford was the guy carrying the ball, which was 2014, for those of you lacking the historical reference. There's no reason to think that these personnel are going to get any better. They're still most mostly rolling with upperclassmen. They've got Samak in there at center now and Duplain at left guard. Those are younger guys who could still get better. But otherwise, even when they rotate, it's mostly guys that have been there a few years where you know what you're getting out of them. And it's, it's not very good, especially in the run game. They're, they're decent pass blockers for the most part. But if your, run ga- if your offense is still going to be premised on the run game, and that's still, you know, with this new offensive staff, they have still tried to establish the run. They're at least a little bit more creative about it. They're doing more zone than the old staff used to. But even this new scheme isn't really getting much out of these guys. And it, look, we, it, we've seen so much out of them that it's clear they're not going to get much better. It's also now less clear than ever what MSU has with Rocky Lombardi. Because as fantastic as he was against Michigan, and it's clear he can throw a good deep ball, he, man, against any opponent that runs more zone or just leaves their safeties in a, in a high formation, there's not much there. And I, some people were saying towards the end of the game that he got injured. If that's the case and he's injured enough that it's affecting his play, you got to pull him. I mean, we had this problem with the old staff too. They, you know, for like most of his career, it was always, man, Lewerke is injured. That's why his throws look so weird. It's like, if he's that hurt, he shouldn't play. Yeah, especially because if you're gonna, if that's always going to be your philosophy, then he's never going to be healthy. <laughs> right. If you're if you're willing to just leave him out there through a, if through an injury that's affecting his ability to perform, but not so much that he can't literally go out there and gut through it, then for one thing, that says something about your the preparedness of your backup. If you'd really rather go with a starter whose injury is impeding his play, than see what the next guy has. Especially in this situation, man. Like you're down thirty five nothing at the half. You keep throwing Lombardi out there when you have three underclassmen quarterbacks with basically no game data. Yeah, so the question then becomes, does Mel Tucker not understand what this season has become? I wonder, and it's it's not really clear. He, both in the, after this game and after the Rutgers game, he was straightforward about it, that look, this isn't good enough and we've got to be a lot better, and that's fine, and... Look, that Michigan win is going to buy him a lot of rope. Nobody, I mean, if they end up 1-7 this year, first of all, it'll, t- it'll test the hypothesis that I've always heard from some parts of my fan base, which I personally reject as being ludicrous, that 
I'd be happy winning one game a year if it was Michigan. Okay, well, we, we might be about to find out because with what's left on the schedule, man, I kind of thought coming into this year, all right, look, Rutgers, sure, they've gotten better, but we'll still get that game. We're going to lose to Michigan, probably going to lose to Iowa. And then after that, there's this stretch of Indiana, Northwestern, and Maryland, where it's like, that's kind of the stretch of winnable games because we end up with Ohio State and Penn State. There's not a sure win left on this schedule. Not even, I mean... The fact that Penn State is 0-3 does not mean MSU is going to be favored against them. Maryland's got two favorable data points and one bad one now. Northwestern's undefeated. (laughs) I mean, tell me where the surefire win is here. So again, look, a lot of these problems were things that we knew about or should have known about coming into this year. I'm not really upset with the results regardless because again this is a roster Tucker was handed later than anybody else had no chance to go and get re- and by the way they had good news on the recruiting trail today they picked up a four-star defensive tackle from in-state they picked up a juco offensive tackle who hopefully will start next year so uh, it, it apparently has not impeded them on, and, and that's always what people have said right that the, actually the results of individual games the year before are hardly ever important to recruits so apparently there's some truth to that and they're starting to make some headway and bringing in yeah more I mean rec- Recruits understand that that like recruits understand this year one thing, um, but also I can tell you that the results of, of games from the year before are not necessarily important to recruits because of what Illinois did. However, the results of the course of four seasons uh, definitely yeah. can undermine recruits' confidence going forward. Yeah. Um, speaking of confidence going forward. Well, yeah, so before before we change gears, I don't want to make this whole conversation about MSU, so we'll talk a little bit more about Iowa. As I mentioned, the offensive line looks dramatically better. This, again, that's against the part of MSU's team that is supposed to be their strength, which is their run defense in the front seven, especially the tackles and linebackers. But Iowa was still getting plenty of creases for them. The zone ran as well as it ever has. Goodson looked explosive. They got him sufficient touches for him to make his impact and then they were smart to rotate other guys in there. Petrus looked a lot more capable and at ease with less pressure on him with a functional running game. So it always feels very simplistic to say, man, if they if we ran the ball and ran it better, everything would be would work out. But in this case that really seems to be the truth for Iowa. Uh, but sure, we'll pivot to the next game here and kind of get on with this. Ohio State forty nine, Rutgers twenty seven. Well, yeah, the Ohio State 49 is not really worth mentioning um, as much as the Rutgers 27. I'll say it as much as I have to. Rutgers is not going to be easy meat anymore. And it's true that this outcome is partially about Ohio State rotating, especially on defense. But their offensive starters played the whole way. Justin Fields took every snap at quarterback, I believe. And despite a 28 to nothing second quarter advantage for the Buckeyes, Seattle didn't roll over and die. They came out... Basically fought the Buckeyes even for the third quarter, and even with a big lead for Ohio State, they never felt comfortable enough to pull the rest of their starters out of this game. Well, Chris Ash didn't recruit, you know, like Daryl Hazel. I mean, not even Daryl Hazel. Chris Ash didn't recruit on a, you know, on on, on such a god awful level that that a good coach couldn't come in here and compete um, with compete in this league with what time Shiano had to work with. And sometimes it is as simple as you hire a coach that is good at being a head college football coach in this level and your team is better and they believe in themselves and they know what they're doing more. Uh, It's often that simple. I would imagine getting that win against Michigan State in week one, a team they had not beaten since joining a conference, is probably going to probably instilled some belief in this roster that they might not have had otherwise because again given what they've been through the last few years if they had lost to a Michigan State team that was rebuilding to an even more dramatic extent than they are then you could have I mean this easily could have been another series another season full of slaughters for them but between as you said having a head coach instilling confidence getting that early win and then frankly also we've mentioned this many times the infusion of talent they brought in through the transfer market because you need look no further really than the quarterback where Noah Vedral has a pretty defined ceiling he's not a superstar who's going to win you a lot of games through his talent alone but he takes care of the ball much better than they've had at that position recently he doesn't force things that aren't there and despite being more cautious than your previous quarterbacks, he's still able to move the offense going. Yeah, I mean, they got 370 yards. They forced a turnover while committing only two of their own. Um, you know, you have to you have to 
talk about games against Ohio State like this, but let's not forget they played a fairly competitive game against a very good team in Indiana last week. Uh, Rutgers suddenly is a team that you can watch if you're a Rutgers fan. It's watchable. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's, again, very much a change from what they had going before. And it's strange that we talk so much about the loser in a three-score defeat here. If well, Again, if, if you're an Ohio State fan and you want storylines out of this game, I guess maybe you give 40 lashes to each of the backups and third stringers that yielded a number of points in the fourth quarter. If you're an Ohio State fan, don't you have enough content that caters to you? Like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't you have absolutely enough? I mean, let, let's consider that all, how much our games, you know, the games from our teams get interrupted with people talking about what some other thing means for Ohio State's playoff chances and then what this means for Clemson and Alabama and stuff. And, you know, you're always getting talked about during our games. It's so you, you can deal with Michigan State randomly coming up during a recap of your game. You'll live. But, you, again, Ohio State is so far ahead of the curve here that you have to kind of read tea leaves here to find weaknesses that, you know... I guess for the second time out of their three games this year, Fields was really a non-factor in the run game. It's not totally, because I'll be honest, I haven't watched every snap of any of Ohio State's game this year. I've caught parts of each of them. It's not clear to me if that's something they're doing on purpose to try to keep him healthy and because they don't really need to. Because look, they're getting good enough production from Sermon and Teague. They don't have a run game with the tailbacks they can rely on like they did with Dobbins the last couple years, but they're getting enough. I think they they got like six yards a pop out of their running back against Rutgers, and that run game is good enough to make space for Wilson and Olave downfield. Well, I mean, to what extent then is Ryan Day basically keeping the playbook, you know, close to his chest throughout the preseason until he gets to the part of the season that actually matters? Well... Because you have that luxury... It's possible, but remember, they did get a fight from Penn State. I mean, they that was a game until late. That, they were at a safe margin the whole time, but I don't think that, like, that's not the kind of game where you hold things back. So I don't know if that's necessarily it. I do, it, it's probably fair to say again that I think they're playing it safe a little bit with Fields, with running the ball, more to preserve him than out of concern that, oh, we're going to show something that somebody can't. I mean, when you have talent like Ohio State has, why don't you just scare the crap out of your opponents by showing them, look at what we are truly capable of? Um, the other well, of, I mean, they do. They just don't do it until they play Michigan. <laughs> sure, which, who boy, is that one going to be interesting this year? Because, again, and we'll get to Michigan a little bit, but their troubles in man coverage are not going away. They're not going to become a zone team overnight. How are you going to deal with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, especially now that Ohio State has started looking to Ruckert, the tight end, as kind of a third option in the passing game? That's that's a real problem if they now have somebody who can work the middle of the field. Boy, it... Well, to go back to this game, it was functionally over at like 42 to 9 late in the third quarter. <laughs> well, sure it is. But, but still, though, you look at that, you look at 22 first downs for Rutgers to Ohio State's 25, relatively even time of possession, uh, just didn't look like the, com- like the kind of complete farce that you expect from the team that doesn't belong in this league anymore to a team that doesn't belong in the league on the other end of the spectrum. Um, like, I, I can say that confidently because... We're not going to look this. Illinois played Ohio State this year, and we're not going to look this good. We're not going to. We're not going to put up twenty-seven. We're not going to get twenty-two first downs. No, there's a chance this is one of the two or three best challenges Ohio State gets this year. And part you could. I wonder if there's also an angle of familiarity from Shiano being on the staff with Ryan Day when they were both assistants to Urban Meyer. That might have helped them. I know how to make this defense look terrible. <laughs> having having done it myself and you know getting run out of town on a rail basically speaking of rails um oh, it's not the purdue game shoot wasted that analogy we'll just get to it minnesota 41 illinois 14 no naked lap okay but this basically locks you into your w7 seed over there well a year ago today uh we won our last football game and it was such a memorable win that we've decided to pay it tribute by just not doing another one until we can get one that does it justice. This was, of course, our, our win against Michigan State, which endlessly replayed in, in, on the line I Twitter. And it's a good thing that there were so many gifable moments from that game because gonna be a while before we get any more. Um, now, of course, the offense I expected to, to, to struggle. I was hoping that maybe knowing what they would have to work with, they'd, uh, they'd run it a little more. Um, but ended up just that they actually only handed the ball off like 13 to 14 times. They didn't have the ball for very much of this game. Minnesota, of course, continued to churn away on offense. The offense has never been the issue for Minnesota this season. They had, you know, they of course had the 
run game working well uh, against a not a great run defense and uh, of course the passing game was just uh i mean low volume but good enough yeah i mean tanner morgan managed uh, an astonishing 10 incompletions which is which more than doubled the Illini defense's total of incompletions forced for the year. But uh, it didn't really matter because Mo Ibrahim got... Mo Ibr- Mohamed Ibrahim, however the hell you pronounce his name, uh, got 224 yards, uh, and the game was over so quickly that they decided to stop calling forward progress as a yeah, thing. Yeah, there was that touchdown run where it's like, okay, so the ball stops there on the one, but everybody's just, just turned into a rugby scrum, and they let him keep going. I'm like, aren't you going to blow the whistle at some point? Yeah. So, I'd- of course, the story here is, yeah... Um, as as I predicted, uh, we cure what ails a struggling team because, boy, suddenly Minnesota's run defense looks pretty good. I wonder if there is any difference between this game and their first two games, but, uh, you know, suddenly they, they, they come out of this game with the, with the confidence that, that no, no, they're definitely not going to compete for worst in the division. Um, Rashad Bateman... I mean, he got a, he he was closing in on a hundred yards by the second quarter. Yeah, um, and we as much as we buried Minnesota more for losing to Maryland than getting roughed up by Michigan. That Maryland loss looks a little bit better now. Honestly, like a one point loss to Maryland now looks much more tolerable and explainable than getting the brakes beat off you by a Michigan team that can't stop anybody. Well, mostly because it's been proven that Maryland offense nowhere near as bad as they looked against Northwestern. Uh, they they managed to get some things to happen in their game this week with with some pretty talented players. Uh, on the other hand, it, you can kind of put together a thread for Minnesota that their offense, you know, though though they don't have the explosive passing game of last year with uh, with Johnson gone, they still do have a, an offense that can hurt you in multiple ways, and that's never been the problem this year. The defense is, you know, vulnerable to vulnerable to the pass, but only when their opponent can actually pass the ball. <laughs> right. Um... Barring division competitiveness from Minnesota, because look at, you know, off to an 0-2 start, that kind of went out the window. It kind of looks like maybe they're now just going for the Doak Walker for Ibrahim instead, because they gave him 30-plus carries in this game, second consecutive game where he's over 200 yards with four touchdowns. Minnesota had 541 yards of total offense. Ibrahim and Bateman combined for 394. (laughs) Ibrahim had 255 total yards. Bateman had 139 through the air. Even missing some guys on the offensive line yeah minnesota has been able to run it very well every game so far and behind ibrahim when they've given him the ball tracing Potts looks like he's gonna be another dude maybe not to quite the same level as ibrahim but they have a capable backup but they're still giving 30 plus carries to the starter even when they're up comfortably i wonder if they may be award chasing a little bit that's just my potential take on it well they've seen what wisconsin's done over the last 20 or so years and said yeah yeah, well, we can do that, too, if we give a guy enough carries. Right, I mean, Melvin Gordon won the Doak Walker getting, like, 15 carries a game because he'd go for 20 yards a pop. But anyway, <laughs> as far as Illinois' offense goes, you know, I I wanted to tell you when you said, man, I just want to see our quarterback keep the ball more, that there was a monkey's paw on the table that you didn't seem to notice and the one finger kind of curled a little bit. I don't know if 19 carries for Coran Taylor for 42 yards, granted non-sack adjusted, is what you had in mind. Well, see, I wanted him to keep the ball more versus throwing the ball more, not versus giving it to somebody else. Right. Because uh, Mike Epstein... One of the positives I can take away is that Mike Epstein still got it. He's had some injury troubles, but he had a 60-something yard run where he he clearly, you know, you don't need to give him much of a hole for him to to get first down yardage. And, you know, I'm really glad that he's been able to fight through all this, but... As far as the rest of the offense is concerned, um, well, there was it's episode. not like Karan Taylor is a true freshman or anything. He's been, this is third year with the team. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's been taking snaps in practice under the same offensive coordinator for three years. It's, you know. It's more continuity than many starting quarterbacks yeah. in the conference have. You know, so I, again, I watch, watch other teams put in their backup quarterback and, you know, is not a complete liability to the point where you can't expect to win a game without your starter. Sure, but again, when you say backup, you're talking about the guy getting the second team reps, which is well, not Karan really. Taylor, yeah. nor is he the guy getting the third team reps. He's basically the guy, st- I mean, honestly, QB4 is usually running the scout team, meaning you're dealing more with opposing playbooks than your own. So I get your point that he's not some kid who's never played before, doesn't know the system, but in terms of how much familiarity and practice run he actually gets running your team's offense, I think that's up to debate. And so, you, you know, you mentioned the 63-yarder from Epstein. You also had a 52-yard catch from Josh Amaterbebe. 
besides those two explosive plays, 172 yards from scrimmage all game. This offense is is bad. It's definitely bad, and I don't know that. I mean, I'm sure that having Brandon Peters back will make it better. It won't be. It's going to be a while. I think having Isaiah Williams back will make it moderately better because he's he's an explosive athlete. He'll be playing uh, probably in a similar Rucker. probably in a similar mold to what you get from Karan Taylor right. in terms of his decisions um, running versus throwing. And having having starting center <laughs> Doug Kramer back also would be helpful. But I, I would remind you though, this is. Probably going to be the weakest defense Illinois saw all season. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I was going with this. I mean, the the, the players that are out should not fundamentally uh, alter Illinois' offense so much that it looks completely non-viable in well, a game I mean, like this. You know, starting center, starting quarterback, backup quarterback, I, those are big pieces to lose, but... Anyway, so the, the, you know, the biggest theme here is that the defense for Illinois is once again just... Uh, many, you know, many things change, and the one constant is that the defense is god-awful, especially the secondary. I mean, we were watching the first half of this game, and I'm sure you noticed this, before before every play, you got people pointing at each other, trying to figure out where the hell they're supposed to be right up until the moment that the ball is snapped, yeah. and then they don't know where they're supposed to be. Yeah, visible confusion. And, again, these are guys that are, well, these are guys that, this is a mix of guys that have been in the system for a while, and... Guys like transfer Derek Smith, a, a former four-star from Miami. You know, this is a guy that, that will either prove or disprove the theory that Lovey is ahead of the curve here by bringing in all these former four-star prospects. Well, he, he all a, he did he was... He made a very Hurricanes play. Yeah, when well... He got in there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. So he he did, in fact, uh, hit Ibrahim out of bounds once he finally got there, uh... Also with a targeting type of hit. But, I mean, I think it's just because he's so used to, you know, he just gets to every single play so late that that's about as close as he's ever going to get to his man. He's been so bad this year. He's been, like, Jalen Tate bad as far as an individual player's performance. Like, he's had, he's just been so, so terrible. I don't know if we lose much with him out. It certainly didn't seem like we did. But, you know, you get a lot of these players where the theory is, hey, here's a guy that slipped through the cracks that was a high, you know, a highly recruited player with a lot of potential, and we'll get him in here here with some good coaching and we can definitely salvage this guy but you need good coaching to do that and at no point have we demonstrated that in the defensive back seven we have coaching worth a damn yeah you know you're running a little bit the model that Jim McElwain used at Colorado State to parlay himself into the Florida job but the, the difference is you're at a level of competition where a handful of those guys coming in every year is not going to equalize your talent deficit, even against kind of the middle-of-the-road teams like Minnesota. Yeah, I called you a middle-of-the-road team. You're 1-2. Get over it. So what? I, that's that's something that can help, but he's got to get more out of his prep players than he has been to this point. Uh, otherwise, as you as you mentioned, you know, this, we thought before the season that there was no chance anyone was going to get fired as a result of on-the-field results this year. We've already seen two firings in college football. Is there a possibility that if this goes poorly enough, Lovey Smith's buyout has been reworked to a point where it could be manageable even in COVID finance sort of situation? Well, when you say goes poorly enough, you mean continues going poorly enough because right. look at our schedule and tell me where there's a win. We, we couldn't, I mean, I don't know that Purdue's certainly decent, but they the amount of golden horseshoe ass we wasted not beating them. Who are your crossovers? <laughs> Our crossovers are Ohio State and Rutgers. Um, okay, so but we're at Rutgers this week. Yeah. Um. I. Yeah. yeah. We're we're seven point underdogs because Rutgers is favored in a conference game for the first time since in six years. Uh. We have Illinois. So here's another incredible thing. Illinois is fourth in the nation in fumbles recovered. Despite only playing three games, uh, they've recovered seven fumbles through three games. Do you know what this means? Don't let those box scores fool you. They're actually a lot worse than the scores making them look because <laughs> they're in positive turnover margin territory. They won the turnover battle by two in this one, and they still lost 41 to 14. Yeah, they didn't turn the ball over at all. It was two nothing. Positive turnover margin. I remember those days. So, so yeah, when you, when you when you ask that, you have to consider the COVID finances are being affected because there's no gate revenue. How the hell is there going to be any gate revenue next year 
if we go 0-9, the defense continues to be just this, this cosmic horror show, like, in its own stratosphere, where you, you have to, you have to talk, I mean, we're at the point where we're, we're on the verge of talking about the rest of the conference, and then Illinois again. That does not, I mean, at that point, you got to start doing the math between you get a new coach bump if you get a new coach versus who the hell is coming back for this. This has been just god-awful. Um, and and yeah, I came in here with trying not to expect anything because it's 2020 and it's stupid. But if you recall, before COVID happened, I fully expected this to be uh, one of the rare occasions where as an Illinois fan, you look before the season and say, we might actually be decent enough to win six or seven games. And it's uh, it's gone even worse than the last time I thought that with a certainty, which was 2009. The only <laughs> difference is we don't have anywhere near that much talent and we're certainly not going to beat the shit out of Michigan this year. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, and then, we guess what happened at the end of 2009? We gotta move on. Ron Zook wasn't on. fired. So on. there's so, the predictor. All right, Maryland 35, Penn State 19. We have got to move on. So notwithstanding Illinois getting butchered by the Imperial Guard that every time it comes up against them this year, have we considered that this might actually be the year of the revolution? Because after all, revolutions do not proceed in a straight line of easy victories where the people make their demands and the powers that be acquiesce to them. They tend to feature many losses at the beginning such as those inflicted upon everyone in Ohio State's path. Uh, you know, Illinois has obviously not... They've, they've sustained some grievous losses here in the early days of the insurrection. But Maryland beats Penn State. Indiana's doing what they're doing. Northwestern, Purdue are both 3-0. and Nebraska is winless. Penn State's winless. Michigan is 1-2. and The order outside of Ohio State is pretty much is pretty much reversed here. So is there really no scenario in which the bourgeois may eventually die, not, you know, feast in the shattered halls of the Buckeyes as well? Are you actually asking me this, this as a question? Because no, this I'm moment asking feels... This in the, I'm asking this in the context of this Penn State game that we're talking about, but... Because this moment feels a lot like the time that a certain uh, registered independent politician uh, seemed to be doing really, really well in a certain primary, uh, and then it, that ended with suddenly everybody consolidates behind the guy that's been there the longest and gotten to the top the most, Ohio State, and they proceeded to crush everyone. Did you guys compare Joe Biden to Ohio State? We get, talk about the game right now. Get off this analogy <laughs> this instant. Well, I'm just saying. Get what off is, this analogy this instant and talk about Penn State, Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Penn State, Maryland, it, it uh, I mean, Maryland's... Maryland, it is now clear why they hired Mike Loxley for the first time. It is, it is if you apparent. Have, if you have enough talent, you can't help but be good in some areas. Yeah. Before we get to them, though, I was thinking recently about, like, all right, relative to the amount of talent Penn State has, they don't really have as many games as you would expect where they're blowing out their opponent easily, where they're controlling the game the way you would expect. And I'm thinking about it, I'm like, all right, Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders were both big plays waiting to happen. But outside of their explosiveness, even when they had those guys... They were never a good running game or a good running team on a down-to-down basis under James Franklin. They never have been. Their overall numbers got covered up because Barkley and Sanders made so many big plays that the averages were dragged up. But you don't, versus a Wisconsin where you have, you know, just like seven yards after seven yards, eight yards, seven, you know. Yeah, they've never been that. And, yeah, down-to-down. And they still aren't. They don't have the big plays out of the run game this year to cover for it. And it is totally fair to say they thought they were going to have a solid three-man committee. They're now down to one of those men. And they've kind of brought in, I think, Isaiah Holmes is a freshman to help out Devin Ford. And they're not up to the task in carrying the run game. They just aren't. They've got a new offensive coordinator. They, But, man, they really can't run the ball. 94 yards on 36 attempts against a defense that was absolutely reamed by the likes of Minnesota and Northwestern. Like, Yikes. sure, you, you expect to give up some yards on uh, on defense to Minnesota because their offense has been potent. But Northwestern, outside of the Maryland game, is getting right around 20, 21 points per. So to give up a lot of yards to that opponent and then come in and shut down a Penn State run game is very surprising. It's not a good look for Penn State. And what we've seen from their offense this year is that this inability to run the ball is putting 
too much pressure on the passing game. Look, Clifford is a talented thrower of the ball. He's had a couple of targets in Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington emerge alongside Fryermuth, so they've got a stable of weapons, but they still have to throw every down downfield to make yards because none of the short stuff is working. Their screen game has become really predictable. Opposing defenses are all over it, and they can't run the ball in a more straightforward between the tackles way. So everything has to be put on the pass game on offense, and it's resulting in a lot of turnovers. Clifford, again, had two interceptions in this game. He's Not to mention, you know. 57 attempts, completed less than half of them. Yeah, and for pretty good yardage, because again, with Dotson, with Firemuth, they're going to make some big plays in the pass game still, but without some kind of run threat to balance this out, all they've got on the running game is Clifford scrambling, and he is not a running quarterback. Again, like he, he makes enough yards, he makes the most out of his own physical talent. You're not going to confuse him for Braxton Miller. You're not going to confuse him really for Trace McSorley on the ground. Imagine, though, talking to a, you know, a Penn State fan that's been around for a lot, and they came into this game definitely a multi-score favorite, and you'd say, and if you'd told them that their leading rusher would have 36 yards on nine carries at Penn State. Yeah, and they were, again, they were behind 28-7 at the half. Like, it's not like this game was close and then Maryland opened it up. No, Maryland led wire to wire. They were the better team. Much like in another game we're going to talk about where a blue blood ate a ate a pile I mean, of, of course, I mean, you, you don't know if perhaps by if perhaps if they'd been able to run the ball, they could have just, you know, worn Maryland down over the course of the second half using the entire clock and shit, but they never big, tried. It's a big if. Yeah. yeah. It's a big but they, if. Yeah, but they never tried. Man. So, uh, so again, that's... I don't know what the fix is there for Penn State with their talent as compared. I mean, maybe just fold it and look to next year. You could, but I, I don't this know... This program is not on the verge of falling apart. No, This season has not gone the way that they wanted. They've still got plenty of talent. I guess what you would hope is this offensive line has had to replace a couple of prominent pieces. Maybe they get better. When you have your full stable of... You know, when you have Journey Brown and Noah Kane back, maybe that helps considerably. And I guess then you would hope that all of your passing game targets stick around. But look, Frymuth feels destined for the NFL to me. I don't know what Dotson's eligibility status is, if he's able to declare after this, but he looks, I mean, he's not KJ Hamler in terms of his ability to take a five-yard slant and go 80 yards with it, but he is a he's more the kind of guy that NFL teams like and that he makes his plays down the field. Yeah, he's exactly the type, the type of guy that the Packers would love to not pick halfway through the second round. <laughs> um, so... It's going to be interesting to see, and, you know, this is kind of in the background of all considerations, because thinking back to my own team, I'm like, gosh, you know, man, I, I get that these guys have tried their best, but maybe it's we're just going to be better once these offensive linemen move on, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's no guarantee that those seniors are going to be gone next year. They're allowed to come back, all of them. What if we have to look at the same guys on Michigan State's offensive line for another year? That's not, I mean, you'd think by the time the guy's like 25 that maybe he's gotten strong enough that he can get some push in the run game, but... I don't see any reason to think another year is going to help him. Now, for Penn State, it's very different because your young offensive line gets better, your running backs get healthy, and now suddenly you've got Clifford back with chemistry with Fryermuth and Dotson and Washington. You really might have something here. It's just they're not quite there yet. And as you said, really no reason to think they're going to get there because of the limitations they've got this season. Yeah, so the other thing I want to say is that we should really be collecting some consulting fees here because what have we been saying Didn't since week one? We said they need to get Rakeem Jarrett involved all over the field and make the other team respect him every time he's on the field. I'll wear a goofy yellow and black and white and red windbreaker and sit in the booth and uh, shoot, it's not Bird Stadium anymore. I don't know what they call their field now, but you can put us up in the booth and we'll shout at your offensive coordinator to get the ball to Jarrett more often because we said it from the beginning. Why, why are we not collecting low six-figure salaries as part of the coaching staff with these brilliant ideas. We're young. We could probably figure out what the what the youths want and be decent recruiters if you give us enough burner cell phones and bags of cash. Let it, put your boys out on the field. Let us, let us hunt for you, coach. Locks, hit us up. That's all we're saying. We know, we know the stupidest uniform designs. Oh, but you wouldn't believe. I'm talking gray with the neon digit for Maryland. Yeah, we're going to we're going to make it work and the kids are going to think it's lit AF. You remember Bam. those shoes that you used to wear like I mean, I used to, I had a pair when I was in first grade 
that would that would light up with the red LEDs on the in, in the soles and stuff. Oh my god! All that goofy '90s shit is gotta do that now. We're ta- I'm put that on Mar- cleats. Think about the possibilities with Maryland colors applied to giant starter jacket. Look, I, if you want to be, let's get them some underglow. Get them, get their helmets some big ass spoilers. Let's you, go full Fast and Furious with this. If you want to be a, a top tier brand, you know where to find us. Let's put a mean ass hood scoop on the front of that helmet. Last thing I'll say about this game is that this was really still about the turnover margin. Penn State put up a minus four, and this is kind of the last serious point that I had before I trailed off into what we're now talking about, but you can't do it. And the reason that they have these turnovers is because of the pressure Clifford is under to make every play. Yeah, that's just not a way to, uh, I mean, it, it, it works if he is uh if he is one of the quarterbacks in Clemson's depth chart. Right, and he's not quite that, which isn't to say that he's no good. I think he's probably one of the three, four, maybe five best quarterbacks in the league. That should be good enough to win with Penn State's talent. But he's not good enough that you can win games when you put absolutely everything on him. Speaking about putting everything on one opponent, we're going to pivot here and talk about the very important Big Red Nebraska program. And it's taken some time for them to get themselves integrated in the conference and everything sorted out. And look, I'm not going to pretend that it hasn't been without struggles for Nebraska and for the Big Ten in return. But looking over a body of data that we have available now, and just the way that the fan bases approach it, it is apparent that Nebraska is very much at home in the Big Ten because they've got themselves a good old-fashioned blood rivalry, a fiercely contested annual contest with a pure football program, one that has the same type of achievement within our living memories, a program that can look Nebraska in the eye in terms of what they've accomplished on the field in the last 15 years. And that's the Northwestern Wildcats, ladies and gentlemen. No, really, though. And this is a very closely matched series. Overall, it's 8-6 in Nebraska's favor, but since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, 5-5. Five and five. In this matchup, since Nebraska joined, the Cornhuskers have scored 252 points. Northwestern scored 236. Eight of those 10 games have been decided by a single score, and six of those have been decided by a field goal or less. Whatever these teams do against other opponents, all that goes out the window as we always talk about when you're dealing with a true rivalry game. It is a near guarantee that when these two teams meet up with each other, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a close one. Yeah, the amazing thing is that it also always involves really low point totals. Recently it has. There were some scores earlier this decade where they were consistently in the 30s. But recently, yes, these two the defense. Well, last year was ten to thirteen. Yeah, I mean. and and that's that's been the story of the last few years. Is especially in this game this year, Scott Frost let Fitzgerald make this the type of game that Fitzgerald wants it to be, which is like twenty one eighteen. That's why Northwestern won. Northwestern got a forty one yard touchdown from Drake Anderson in the first quarter, and. Aside from that, they ran for about 3.3 yards per carry, and they averaged 10.5 yards per completion in the passing game. Not per attempt, per completion. So we have a better idea of what this, I'll throw up air quotes here, new offense for Northwestern is, and it, I really don't think it's going to be the one that busted big play after big play against Maryland. That's. I wonder if at the end of the year, we might look at that Northwestern-Maryland game and think, man, that is the weirdest outcome we have. Yeah. Because... I would have thought Michigan State beating Michigan would take that, but it turns out Michigan might just be really bad too, and well, believe me, we'll get to that. Pat Fitzgerald would be excellent at the kind of rallying where your stage time is exactly what you set a target at, and you can drive and, and you drive no faster, but also no slower, but certainly no faster than that, right? <laughs> where you get where where you're ranked by just how close to your target time you can hit. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll say one other thing about this, because again, the fact that Northwestern had those offensive numbers I just mentioned, but was still able to grind out a win will tell you how good they were defensively. But I will say, I want to say this about Scott Frost. We give him a lot of guff and he deserves a lot of guff. He acts like a tool a lot, but I actually appreciate how he's handling this season, at least in one very visible regard, which is that his incumbent quarterback, Adrian Martinez, is not playing so hot, and Frost yanked him. Not after the game's already out of hand, not when all the other backups are in and there's seven minutes left and you're down three scores, but no. In a tightly contested one-score game, I don't believe Martinez got hurt in this because they kept showing shots from on the sideline, looking just fine, still in his pads. I very much appreciate that. He at least, and Granted, this may be because 
they took the loss against Ohio State and then missed the game against Wisconsin. But the willingness to take this season in the context of what it is, even after shouting so loud about, we demand being able to play, we will crawl over an army of plague-ridden dead if we have to to get there. Even after saying that, it looks like he's still approaching this from the perspective of a COVID-shattered reality, which or, is... Or... Or... <laughs> okay. Was he simply desperate to get a win against this rival? <laughs> That's also a possibility. That is also a distinct possibility. They gained 442 yards of offense. Outgained Northwestern by, by 100, you know, 130 yards or so. The turnover margin was even. They got 28 first downs to Northwestern's 14. <laughs> they still lost because, again, they played the kind of game Northwestern wants them to play. Oh, they kept getting inside the 20 and coming away with nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it really, based, based on the metrics in this game, the yardage, the first downs that you mentioned, this should have been Nebraska by at least 10 points. But Northwestern plays a lot of this kind of game. This is, this is where they are most comfortable. Because despite 28 first downs, Four for 16 on third down. Yeah, so that's the problem, of course, is despite having all these drives with first downs, not able to extend them when the time is most crucial. So we'll move on now to the last game of the weekend. Another source of great consternation here locally. Michigan 21, Indiana 38. Bump, tell me very quickly, what were you doing in 1987? Um, I was not alive. Me neither. Neither of us had been born. None of the players on either roster would be born for like another 10 years. We keep waiting for the sh other shoe to drop on this Indiana team if you want, but it really doesn't feel like it's going to. There is nothing fluky about them this year. Look, they got a very tight contest from Penn State, who was still a little healthier and more confident at that point. And let's, you know, I don't want to take too much away from them, but they were fortunate to be in the position to win that game because mm -hmm. it was one of those ones where the yards were just ridiculous and they got they got the benefit of a few key mistakes from Penn State, but they were good enough to take advantage of those. Right, and the thing to keep in mind is there are so there are mistakes that your opponent makes that you have nothing to do with. For example, Brian Kelly throwing 40 times in that hurricane game against, what was it, NC State or whoever? Yeah. Or Michigan doing the same thing against Michigan State in 2017. There are mistakes your opponent makes that you have nothing to do with. And then there are mistakes your opponent makes because your defense relentlessly and chaotically attacks all the time. And your offense has so many weird shaped, you know, tiny slot ninjas, giant outside receivers, a battering ram of a running back, a quarterback who's a little bit of a dual threat and also a lefty, so that's confusing. Like, they've got all these weird aspects to their team and a head coach who conducts them basically like he's conducting an orchestra with the mastered hand of I'll, I'll pretend I know the name of a conductor for a second. This is the this Indiana team is perhaps the best example of whole greater than the sum of its parts yeah. that I've ever seen. And let nobody tell you otherwise, they dominated this game from start to finish. Yeah. Um, although, yes, 21 points for Michigan, uh, you know, 344 yards passing for Joe Milton, the Michigan Wolverines ran for 13 yards on 18 attempts against the Indiana Hoosiers. And if you adjust for sacks, they only actually tried to run the ball 15 times. And only four of those came after half when they had a 24 to 7 deficit. Now granted, that's a three score, that's a three score hole you're in. You don't want to be running the ball the whole time, but you don't want to abandon it completely. They seem to think that they've got like Tom Brady in the pocket and that we just need to put everything on Joe Milton's arm. He's done as much as he can and he's not the reason they're losing. But the fact they're putting it on his shoulders is why they're losing because they they abandon the run game again very early here. They've but they, but, but in doing so, man. you look at the time of possession: thirty-nine minutes for Indiana. Yeah, that can happen <laughs> when you when you give up on the run, and then you realize, oh, now I'm behind, so now I can't afford so to now, run the so ball. So now we really have to give up the run. Yeah, and they've got man early in the season, and again before their game against my team, I thought, man, they've got these run options, and they're gonna spread it out, get the speed and space because they actually have the guys to do it now. And they didn't even try. And they really didn't do it in this game either. I mean, just think about this. Blake Corum got one carry. Giles Jackson, one carry. And yeah, he's a receiver. But that they're not using him on more sweeps and reverses and screens is a criminal misuse of him. Like, he's made a couple plays downfield. You should be getting the balls at him as fast as you can. Blake Corum got as they three can. touches. Yeah. 
one carry for Zach Charbonnet. And right, part of that is fed into by the fact that Indiana wouldn't give them the ball, and they were they did run it very effective. Well, not very effectively. But they ran enough. it effectively enough. Stevie yeah. Scott, four yards per carry, just pounded away at them. And then Michigan also gave it away twice via the interception, where Indiana did not turn it over. So is Michigan the more talented team? Yeah, undisputably. But are they the better team? No, not even close, because they're misusing the players they have so dramatically. Defensively, it really does feel like they're going to they're gonna see more results like this this year. Because once again, their corners got picked on in man coverage. They tried to mix in more zone. But we also found out, I think just earlier today, that now Aiden Hutchinson is out for the year. He didn't play in this game against Indiana. So really, that reduces their number of proven playmakers to basically Quiddy Pay and Dax Hill on defense. That's what they've got. One pass rusher who has yet to really get home much this year and a really, really good safety who can cover and tackle. That's what they've got on defense. The rest of it is just a bunch of guys. Yeah, and, you know, on the other side, Indiana is... keep trying to think of... Obviously, the reason that I... principal reason I like them is because I always like teams that just never win the important games. But it's also the way that they're winning these games this year. It's the fact that they prove that even in 2020, you can coach a team. uh, You can coach a team. You can elevate a team with coaching that doesn't have national championship talent. Uh, Maybe not to a national championship level, but enough to compete with those kind of teams. And beat them when they've got vulnerabilities or coaching shortfalls that you can take advantage of. Which is what they've done. It proves that in 2020, even as the talent stratification has made it seem... Like an like an increasingly impossible dream. Yeah, of course, Purdue Purdue recruited some incredible players and stuff, and you know, but Indiana, and again, the uh, the the sum is greater than the whole of its parts, and it's just been coaching and the philosophy that they use, especially on defense. I love the way that Tom Allen draws up a defense because you just you know the pressure is going to be coming from somewhere, but you never know where. And they, you know, the game was very fundamentally ended by a corner blitz on Joe Milton. Yeah. Yeah, and it, is, does Indiana have what it takes to beat Ohio State? Probably not, but they but the fact that we're having this conversation is a testament to Tom Allen. They certainly look like the number one contender this year, and regardless of how the season plays out, I think there's a strong case to be made for Tom Allen as coach of the year. So, all right, that does it for all the games that actually happened. Wisconsin and Purdue, of course, canceled the second casualty of Wisconsin not being able to not party or whatever. Looking around nationally, there were a couple of other games. We discussed Notre Dame-Clemson already, but... Uh, Damn, BYU, you're, you're scary. Uh, my team was supposed to play them this year. <laughs> if we, man, if Michigan State had played this BYU team, good God, they would have put us in a wood chipper. Zach Wilson is a monster. I don't know if there's a record of teams going to Boise State and running them out of the stadium. I mean, certainly teams have won at Boise State, but they just demolished them. They burned them to the ground. Yeah, no, you'd you'd have to you'd have to go back probably before the Peterson era really got rolling at Boise State to find this kind of result on the Smurf turf. And yes, we understand no crowd in the building, but it's still a place where they've had this incredible home field advantage. Yeah, I don't know that we need to go back over the Clemson Notre Dame scene very much, other than to say better enjoy whatever number one, two, three ranking and probably three that they end up getting out of this Notre Dame because there's a pretty good chance your team ain't gonna be able to play next week. I cannot remember who the receiver was on Clemson, but he he, he scored a, a game tying touchdown and then was caught on TV very loudly going, Yeah, they can't fuck with us. I think that was um Amari Rogers, Amari Rogers, something like that. Well, or Powell, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Powell. Why are you calling Rogers out? Of yeah, it? and you were thinking of uh, or uh, Armadi Edwards, perhaps. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, he unfortunately seemed to have dramatically un- to dramatically underestimated their ability to fuck with them. Source for Big Ken Cog, it's off tackle Empire!